Hey guys, it's Fayon here, and I've just launched a new page on the website, thepassivehang.com. It's called Open Resources, where I'm compiling a list of all the great free open resources which can help you on your movement journey. Check it out now on thepassivehang.com. Thanks guys for joining in once again. This is episode 29 of The Passive Hang and I have Will Brown on the podcast. Welcome to the show, mate. Good evening, mate. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> yeah, good. We've been uh, trying to hook up and chat for a while, so I'm really glad to, to have snagged some of his time uh, to yeah, ask him a few questions and stuff. But maybe where I wanted to start off is um, recently, I know you've been down to, is it Sicily? for Yes for a workshop uh, and that looks really awesome so maybe yeah what was happening down there what you do yeah so um we had a concept for a long time for the whole year actually to do this movement and climbing retreat and the idea was to try and let's say bring elements from the movement practice for climbers and mm -hmm. also then to allow like let's say movers themselves to experience a depth of climbing because mm -hmm. I've been climbing for maybe five years now and I, I really love certain aspects of it. The kind of immediate sense of fear I get from it, that kind of very deep subjective experience I get from it. Mm. And um, yeah, so we decided to try and organize that with a buddy of mine. And uh, he's got some friends over there that have a, have a space that's unbelievable. And uh, it was canceled, obviously, due to the, mm. the global uh, situation. And then we finally managed to, to push through and do a small event in, uh, in last week. And it was, I couldn't be more grateful. Like the, I've had, I think, four or five events canceled this year. So to have one finally done mm. and locked in was amazing. I was so stoked. Yeah, it was really, really nice. Yeah, it would have been a lot of pent-up energy, right? That you, you know, you get really yeah. excited for these events and then they get canceled and then you're left over with this, like, bank of energy that you have no outlet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And um, but once we were there, that all that energy was able to come out. And then I think uh, shout out to Marco Crimp and Good Life. He's a good buddy of mine, and uh, we really bounced off each other's energy well. And all the things that he was organising were were bang on. It was like driving us from one place to another, organising um, different kind of uh, let's say logistical problems. Mm. And then that allowed me to really just be in the headspace of teaching, supporting the group, being there for everyone, and it worked so well. So I'm I'm really excited to keep doing that. Mm. So what was the sort of cross informational exchange, you know, from a movers perspective to teach to climbers and then back from climbers to movers? How did that happen? Mm. The, the idea comes from my passion for it, I would say, and my love of kind of um, getting this, what we call this subjective practice, this idea of kind of being faced with a very arbitrary, but very real feeling or sensation or experience, let's say. So climbing, no matter who you are, I think you're going to get that. You're going to get that sense of uh, nervousness, of fear, of, of self-doubt. And, and then from that, you can kind of look at yourself and say, hmm, am I determined enough to, to overcome that? Or can I figure out a way to, to, to deal with this puzzle? And to do that, we have to then dive into the physical practice, which is you know the movement practice. And then from there, within that container of kind of fear and, and, and um let's say subjective experience, we can say, okay, well, I know I can do, I've got my pull-ups, I've been working on my pull-ups, I've been working on my hanging strength, I've been working on my scapular control, I've been working on, um, we've been looking at weight shifting, looking at kind of uh, different ways to create tension in the body, uh, connecting the ribs to the pelvis. 
kind of uh, more general concepts that apply to many things in movement, but then specifically apply them to that container. Mm. So for me, it's great kind of a twofold. It's getting climbers to kind of be more, let's say, self-aware and, and look at general movement and, and how that can be a positive thing for, for everyone. And then more general movers, how they can dive into something quite specific and still get such a real experience. And mm. a, for me, a really valuable experience. And I, I really love it. And how do you normally find the reception um, sort of to maybe to the specific group for climbers? Um, do When they're exposed to this sort of thing, is it normally dealt with like open sort of arms or are, are people sometimes res- resistant to these maybe left of field or new ideas? There's definitely some, let's say, preconceptions, as there is with everything. Um, I, I think all of us that are now what we'd say part of the movement culture are definitely have experienced that in the past. Like the first, you know, the first time your teacher will say, okay, locomotion improvisation, let's go. It's like, oh, whoa. But I, I think that's the same for everyone. You know, we, we have certain ideas. Uh, men should be big and strong and stern and women should be mm. expressive and, and, and whatever. So uh, a, bit, a bit of a left field thing, I think, the years of practice that I've, I've gone through and the different kind of projects I've undertaken, they've almost allowed me to reevaluate my persona and, and how I see myself every time I do something. Mm. So let's say I'm, I'm, I'm practicing the handstand. I view myself in a specific way, maybe quite a static way compared to the dance work I'm doing right now. It's very expressive. It's very vulnerable. Um, the climbing for me was all about overcoming puzzles, overcoming kind of creative challenges physically and the parkour very similarly, but they're both like innately based in fear. Like they're both, I'm, I'm a quite timid person, I would say, when it comes mm. to um, these practices, which maybe surprise some people that don't know me, but those that know me quite well know that I'm, I'm quite timid. I very like to figure things out before I, before I go for them. Mm. Hence the, the idea, I think. But um, yeah, um, I kind of went a bit left field to your question, but I, I really feel like, um, The, 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 this is the, one of the reasons that pulls me back to all these practices is this idea of I'm learning more about myself. I'm able to see these not as a, an identity or see these as a, um, I, sh- I, sh- I can or can't do that. Like an, um, an entity mindset, we can say, if mm-hmm. we look, we can quote the Josh Waiting, it's more of an incremental idea of, I can do this. I just have to work at it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, maybe I'm not great at it, but if I'm gaining something from this and it might be a sense of just, uh, having a good time with some some awesome people and then over time that depth of relationship gets deeper as you start to commit to something and start to commit some energy some time some openness to something and the more open a person can be i think to all this vast array of, of opportunity the more depth you're going to gain in relationships that other people are there with you i would say that's mm. what i found at least Mm, yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing, these relationships and what you're mentioning there kind of reminds me of this concept of uh, like self-efficacy, kind of like this, mm-hmm. this, uh, this belief, right, that actually I can overcome this adversity. I can do this from this place, place of centeredness, right? To, to, and I think these fear-based practices such as rock climbing, parkour, really challenge you at the core, right? Because... I like what you said about this container. You can do like a million pull-ups, right? You could do, you know, <laughs> one arm chin, but then you come to this point where you're hanging off this rock and it could be at that exact same vector that you've practiced a million times before, but it's different, right? It's very different. Exactly. Exactly. 
and I think that leads us on to the question that you proposed earlier about physical intelligence. Mm. This, for me, is the basic idea of physical intelligence. Mm. So if we look at that as kind of the overall container or the umbrella, let's say, the, the orientation of practice, and it's when I've got my pull-ups set, I'm, I'm strong, I've worked on my finger strength, I've, I've worked on my technique when I'm climbing, and I'm faced with the subjective fear, and I'm faced with that real-life situation, it's not a run-through anymore. It's like, boom, I'm there. Hmm. Am I physically intelligent enough to apply everything I've learned and be in the moment and do it? And that's kind of the orientation for me. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a specific thing. Yeah, I really love this term. You know, I was going through your website before and you use this this thing of going, okay, like I'm kind of trying to help people with gaining this sense of physical intelligence. And, you know, that that's almost like a juxtaposition sometimes I think to how we grew up, like intelligence is a very non-physical thing, you know, intelligence is within academia, within mathematics, that sort of thing. So in your mind, like how do you sort of describe this concept of physical intelligence? Oh, uh, good question. That's a really good question. I never thought about that before. Mm. Um, I, I think for me, intelligence um to quote was it einstein i think ido quotes it recently as well is um intelligence is something to do with allowing yourself to hold two opposing ideas in your brain at any one time and let's say an acceptance of that now what i think we do in school is we don't do that we kind of only have one idea we focus on it spe specialize in that idea and then that's that's kind of oh you're intelligent because you got a good grade in that specific realm but i would say that's kind of a, a miss uh, a mistermed intelligence for me, the intelligence is being able to go out and say, well, uh, I'm afraid, but, uh, but I still want to do this. I'm still going to push myself through this. And the intelligence to say, well, okay, well, what are my risks? What are my um, rewards? How can I balance that dichotomy? And that's in physical intelligence for me. That's being able to say, okay, um, specific example, uh, I want to jump from A to B. Okay, well, what does the jump include? What are my physical capabilities? What is my general capacity? Am I physically able to do that? If so, am I prepared to do that? Am I motivated to do that? Are my subjective practices, or let's say my subjective feelings aligned with that? If so, then I have to trust my physical intelligence and, and orient myself towards that to be able to do that thing. Hmm. And the more complex that gets, the, the more crazy it looks from the outside. But it's the same thing on the inside because you can take a jump, let's say of one meter for a beginner, and you can take a jump of, three meters over a death drop with a whole load of chaos for a professional parkour athlete that's got 15 years of experience but then the the the, the experience of that individual in those two jumps is more or less the same there's a sense of self-doubt there's some fear and there's a reliance on your your previous experience or your capacity let's say mm. and then it's just physical intelligence and I think that balancing all of these different aspects is for me intelligence, whether it's cognitive or physical, it doesn't really matter. Mm, I like this. Uh, and it sort of meshes in and um, uh, like from that cognitive side and that physical side to almost be like uh, th this sort of s same concept. And then with this, with this dealing of, uh, it's almost like this, this facing the self and dealing with emotional control almost that that's what you're sort of pointing towards. Um, so do you, I guess with practices such as parkour and rock climbing, it's very real because of this, this fear element, right? Even like maybe acro acrobatics. So how does this sort of physical intelligence 
develop maybe where the fear aspect is not as big because I think in those sort of situations, right, it's like a very big stimulus to bring out all these strong emotions, right? When you've got this, mm-hmm. this fear. So maybe when that's sort of dialed back, how have you sort of used maybe like these containers to still develop this sense of physical intelligence? Well, you can almost say that fear is a stressor. Okay. So if we then take stress as our, as our main point, rather than fear as our main point, stress is still part of life, no matter what we do. <clears throat> so if I'm, let's say I go back to the pull up idea, Pull-up isn't a very dangerous thing to do for, for most people. So how can we use physical intelligence there? And there's two examples or two ideas I'll give. The first one is, well, maybe this not, that's not the point. The point is to use that to further uh, gain capacity to then explore physical intelligence in another, in another realm, for example, climbing or parkour. I would also say, however, there is some physical intelligence there at some levels. For example, force application. How much force am I trying to apply here? Am I doing something with a tempo? Am I doing something explosively? What are my goals? And really trying to dial into my intentions when I'm doing something. And I think this is one of the biggest things of practice is intention when you're doing a movement. Because I can do a movement and it look, looks like, it looks, I nearly swore, it, it looks really bad, <laughs> let's say. And I can then do the same movement and it can be as graceful as you want. And that is simply based upon intention and how I'm using myself. Okay. And I think this is then physical intelligence, how you use yourself, the use of the self, to quote uh, Alexander, F.M. Alexander. Um, if we look at kind of uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know, from The Karate Kid, he's not doing anything too crazy. He's not doing, you know, triple corks or something crazy from the parkour realm. He's, he's simply doing things very gracefully and very well. And that's because it's in his intention, he's very self-aware. And so we, we could say that almost a cartwheel can be incredibly physical intelligent. But you might see that in the, in, in the, the Olympics and be like, that's not even worth anything. But for someone that's, that's afraid of it and they've not got any background in it or they've got no experience in it, that can be incredibly valuable to gain a lot of physical intelligence from that. And this is why I'm always saying that physical intelligence isn't a specific place. It's not like, a, oh, you're, you're going to get there. It's very context dependent. It's very individual dependent. And it's, for me, more of an orientation that's always changing. Um, it's sort of like, uh, instead of viewing it, like, you know, IQ is almost like on this absolute scale, right. And people sort of ranked instead of that, there's like this relativeness to it where you're just trying to find this level that's going to match that person to help them kind of level up in their intelligence. And that might be like a very simple jump for you, but for that person might be very complex. And then similarly, for for you, what might be complex for that parkour guy who's been doing it since since five? It's it's very simple, right? So yeah, I really like this concept. And maybe do you want to bring us through where some of the genesis of this sort of concept and this idea started uh, mm. formulating yeah. through within your mind? I'm actually glad you asked that because I was just about to say that as a metaphor. But um, mm. uh, when I was teaching handstand push-ups for uh, the first let's say year of my teaching, I was like there's something missing because I've got these guys that are super strong and they can do a handstand, but they can't put these two worlds together. And then I was kind of like, well, what else is there in this equation that equates to the handstand pushup? And there's this level of um, what we call force application. And it's how much force am I applying at any one time 
to complete this task because it's not something like a one arm chin up where it's more like a, a maximal power output. It's very much a sense of, okay, I need to give it enough uh, tension, enough strength, enough, um, let's say power at any one moment and continue to do that over the whole course of this movement. And then I have to like organize my body around my base of support when I'm doing that. So it's actually quite complex. And, and that for me was the first kind of idea where I was like, ah, okay. That's actually quite physically intelligent to do all these different things and, and manage these juxtaposing ideas at any one time. Because you'll see beginners try a handstand push-up once they're strong enough. And it's like, they'll just drive as hard as they can and they'll lose tension, they'll drive their legs over, they'll fall on their back and then, then fear kicks in. And then you have also this kind of like fear idea. And now you have, let's say these um, opposing problems that you have to try and solve. And that's when I thought, okay, this is quite physically intelligent. Mm, I like it. And then at the time I was doing a lot of climbing. And so that, that subconsciously kind of came into the, the challenge, kind of overcoming challenge idea and, and seeing everything as, as, um, as some kind of incremental problem to, to overcome. Um, I'm really fond of the book, uh, The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Mm. And, and he talked a lot about this idea of seeing everything as an incremental mindset. And, and it's been so valuable and is so valuable. And when you started, I guess, for, uh, this idea started becoming stronger within you, did you start reorientating your practice and the way you were teaching? And if so, how did that change things? Mm, only with the sense of... Um, how I'm explaining maybe. I don't think the contents necessarily change. I just see how I see success or how I measure success or how I measure progress is not as um, idealistic or um, what's the word? Objective as it used to be. It used to be kind of like a binary system of did I do the rep, yes or no? But now I have more of a, a depth of, okay, did I do the rep, yes or no? If no, then what were the things that I felt or what was I aware of? Was there a better connection to something? Was there, you know, there's many more layers beneath that. Mm. And I think this, this depth of, of awareness is really important for, for a teacher to, to be aware of and, and to mm. be able to feel for the student and then slowly enable them to pass that on via different methods. And from the viewpoint of a practitioner, because you are recounting a lot of like principles almost with force application, you know, balance of center of mass, all this sort of thing. Do you think that it's important for these people to also understand it within those terms as well to become physically intelligent? That's a good question. Um, I've actually, that's probably the biggest thing I've changed in my teaching. When I, when I first started teaching, I was, I would say I'm a determined idealistic um, individual. Uh, I have very idealistic ideas and then I'm very determined to try and do them. <laughs> so I push them quite far but I still think that they're idealistic and, and that's never uh, the best thing. So when I first started teaching, I was like, especially with the group, um, I'd create these huge lesson plans and it would be like a two hour class and we'd be there for three and a half hours going over this content because I was like, I don't need to just do this. I want you to be able to teach this. I want you to be able to go so deep into this work that you really yeah. understand it. And over, over the course of that first year, I realized that, oh, actually, these guys, are, you know, they're, they're, they want to practice, but they don't want to be teachers. I'm, I'm teaching them as if they're going to be teachers, hmm. which for some of them was amazing because they, they ended up being you know, all coming teachers. And now the group is, I'd say, 50% coaches, which is awesome. But uh, there's a certain level of practice, I think, that shouldn't be rational or, or cognitive, overly cognitive. Hmm. 
um, to maybe emphasize that a bit better, you can almost say um, we talk about kind of being in the body or overthinking these mm. kind of ideas. It's, it's, when we do that, we can't allow things to happen. And what I found when I was teaching things like as simple as a handstand is that you need to practice your general capacity and the preparedness of the body and be able to do those skills. And let's say we're learning to balance in the handstand. But once you're actually doing it and you come away from the wall and you've done your drills, you can't think about, okay, if I'm going that way, I must do this. And if I'm going this way, I must do this. It's like, it's too late for that. You have to accept that you've done the practice and your body in, in quotation marks knows or feels and then you have to trust that you can do that. And then the reactions come into play. And that for me is then going back to the idea of I'm, I'm therefore being physically intelligent. I'm not cognitively intelligent at that moment. I'm not, uh, I'm not proactively thinking what's going on mm. or reactively thinking what's going on even. Yeah, it's like to, to really embody that concept, you have to, I like how you said it, you have to separate this cognitive intelligence because then that can take away the experience of just being there in the moment, being within the body and then performing it, right? Like I think of this time when I met this amazingly crazy, uh, big Brazilian capoeira guy. I, I saw him at the gym and he was doing all this sort of stuff and I had to talk to him afterwards, you know, and, and you sort of talk to him and the way he explains it was just like, you know, just doing these moves, it's so simple. Like you just go like this and then you, then you do it like that, you know, and I compare it to maybe sometimes how other teachers may go on and it's very technical, right? And it's sort of like, you know, it's because you need to shift your mass like this and do this and it's almost like this biomechanical equation. But to this other person who I would say is, is actually is very physically intelligent as well because like the control that he has over his body is at a very very high level it doesn't doesn't relate to that at all it's just like okay like he probably saw that on the street somewhere and just did it and so yeah it's like two very different approaches yeah i'd say neither of them are wrong or incorrect i'd say for me the the sign of a good teacher is 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 not either one it's having the ability to dip into either one mm. so for example if i'm teaching someone that's very overly cognizant and, and likes to have rational kind of mechanical understanding of things then i, I might give them some of that whereas someone that's very uh, sensitive and, and they like to not be overly cognizant then i wouldn't give them that mm. until they need it and i think the ability to to be able to do both and understand or be emotionally intelligent enough with your students to say okay well actually this type of person needs this, this type of person needs this, and this type of person needs this. And it's not kind of some kind of, okay, guys, do the reps and whatever happens, happens. It's very much like a, an in-depth relationship of, of, okay, I understand this person, I understand this person, and over time you get to know them better, you can then help them better with that as well. Mm, and nice. for me, that's the, that's the, lovely, uh, the lovely kind of creative thing about being a teacher is that I'm always learning about the guys. I'm always trying to explain things better. I'm always trying to, let's say, contain them in different ways so that they understand them. And sometimes I might get it wrong. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning all the time. But sometimes there's like this moment where we're like, oh my God, oh, I completely understand what you've been saying all this time now. Oh, it's, that's the container I needed. And it's like, I've been saying that over and over again, but I've just framed it in a different manner. And then people mm -hmm. are like, oh, I saw the elephant from the back, so I thought it was a horse. And now from the front, I can see it's an elephant. Oh my God, okay. Which is my favorite metaphor ever, the, the blind men seeing the elephant, if, you, if you've ever seen that one. <laughs> uh, so, I haven't read, 
I haven't heard that one, but like, yeah, I could imagine um, I, I sort of get that. And yeah, I guess that's the challenge of, uh, of the teacher, right? Trying to find the right method in the right context, the right container to help to help bridge that gap to enable that understanding. But, but I kind of want to pull it back now to maybe, yeah, this, uh, you know, you, you run the London Movement Group. Uh, and we've sort of been mentioning it in bits and pieces just in this conversation already. But yeah, maybe do you want to bring us through, I guess, how did it all start? Like I know before you were sort of traveling, uh, I mean, I've been following your adventure for a while and then suddenly you're doing this group. Um, so yeah, maybe do you want to take us through how the journey from, from where it's come from to now? Yeah. So um, yeah, like you said, I was, I was doing a lot of traveling before I was, I was very motivated by this idea of venturing out, learning as much as I could going to, for me, I wasn't so interested in, in, doing online coaching with people when I was younger, I was very much into the idea that, man, I want to just go and sleep on someone's floor and soak up all this wonderful real life experience that they're going to offer me. And so I lived for a long time in, in Berlin and Cologne in Germany. And I went around and I was climbing in Spain for a while. I then got a message from um, Harry, uh, our good mutual friend, Holistic Movement. And he was like, oh, I'm working at this gym and, and there's a opportunity to, to for a job here if you want to come over I, I can see you're traveling around doing some cool stuff it might be you know it might be cool for you and I was like let's go let's do it no second thoughts so I bought my flight off I went and slept on his floor for the next year almost um bless you Harry <laughs> <laughs> and um and from there I kind of got into this um movement culture of Perth and I began to teach a lot more and, and, and I really dialed into the practice and I, and I was um, also a modus movement with Margaret and Mark. I spent a few months living with them towards the end of my trip and then Margaret was really influential on me because she said, Wilbur, what are you doing? Where, where's your responsibility? What, what, what are you doing as a young man? You know, And I was being very um, expedient, we could say. I was I was really into Jordan Peterson at the time. I was reading a lot about Jordan Peterson, and I got into this quite uh, nihilistic, expedient uh, traveling mindset, which I think mm. is wonderful for a short time, but not super great for a young man that wants a family mm. in the future. And I kind of said, "Well, okay, that's that's that's, that's a good point. I I'm, I'm I don't have anything set up. I don't I'm not I don't have any responsibility or anything that I, that I need to do. I need to find a way to do that." And certain things happened, and I realized that I needed to come home. So I came home to see my family, to my dad. Um, he was quite sick at the time, so it was like a big, big thing for me to come home and then be like, okay, I need to be here with the family right now. And then there's a perfect opportunity. There was nothing going on in London, no movement group in London. There was no, no one doing anything like that at all. So I thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to start sharing my work and, and really create something that that's, I'm responsible for and I can really you know, dive deep into and really give everything to. And it started, I was just commuting down. I was still living with my parents at the time and I was commuting backwards and forwards until I could eventually make it work. And I was doing a few other jobs on the side just to kind of make things, make things um, go through and, and looking after children, nannying for a while. And eventually moved down there. And two years later, wow. we're still there rocking and rolling. That's awesome. Nice. I really love it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I love this um, this story. You know, it's a bit of a crazy story. I'm sure, like a lot of people as well. I like how you you frame this term as almost like this taking of responsibility, right? You can almost imagine this is like a step into maturity, right? Like because beforehand you're just like almost happy go lucky, carefree, just like I'm. I just do whatever I do, just like for myself. But I think yeah. It's kind of funny because we were chatting beforehand about like how we've both been on this long-term travel. And I think at some point when you pursue that 
like for so long, then you do get this calling or this urge to go, oh, okay, like actually now, now I got to do something, you know, like that there's this thing or this calling to give back, to start committing yourself to something. And you know that it's probably going to be difficult and challenging, but it's kind of like, oh, this is, this is what I need to do. Is that kind of what you sort of felt as well? Like it was almost like this call to challenge. Yeah, I would say that um, there wasn't one kind of specific call or something that kind of came out of the blue. It's, it's very much down to my, re- my reflective practice, I would say. Mm. Um, I'm a massive, uh, massive fan of that. I do it all the time. I'm journaling all the time. And um, going back to Jordan Peterson, I, I did his self-authoring suite three or four years ago and um, really fell in love with the concept of kind of sitting down and really saying, well, if I could have anything in the world, what would I be really content with? And what's a big over, overarching goal that I'd be like, wow, my life was, was so great. Mm. And starting to kind of work back from that end point, then you can kind of see, well, what do I need to do to get there? Rather than just floating along in the wind, there's certain things I can proactively do to, to, to figure that out. And one of those things was take responsibility, do something. So that when a female that I like comes around, I can actually then say, you know what, I'm responsible. I've got this thing set up. Mm. And then, you know, we can do something. And, and that's kind of been one of the big motivations. Which I, I can't say enough that for anyone young listening to this, like, figure some things out. It, it's wonderful to float. And I think mm. yeah, I, I still have this, um, this balance. I really like this idea of, um, like, walking the border between chaos and order. This idea of okay, uh, floating and going around and being quite expedient is, is very chaotic. It's mm. wonderful. It's really exciting. But it's chaos. Order is responsibility, it's work, it's family. And we need to be able to walk that border between them both. And we can't just have all of one. And this is the, you know, the, the yin-yang idea. Mm. And um, for me, I was too much in the order when I was uh, young, too much in the chaos in my early 20s. And now I'm, I'm trying to find that border, you know, so. Mm. Yeah. But, it, but it's kind of like you need to have experienced both extremes as well to then get this sense of going, okay, where, where is this, where is this middle point as well that I need to navigate at the moment? But um, I'm really interested to hear, I don't know if you want to share, but like what you said, like what is the change or what is the thing that you, if you're looking back in your life would be proud to do? Uh, yeah. What, what did you write down? Uh, well, so you work 12 actually. So in, in this, in the, um, self-authoring suite you, you kind of make 12 big goals um family related work related and mm. um one of the work related goals was to have my own group where i was sharing work consistently and, and kind of really providing a, a, a beautiful culture mm. a big thing for me is is people i really love people i really feel at home with with big groups and of, of when i'm when i'm sharing work mm. which is very ironic because i would say that when there's big groups of people that i don't know or i'm quite uh, let's say you go to a to a party or something, I'm awful. I'm so bad. I'm super introverted <laughs> when it comes to that. But when we're in a place of, of, of sharing and, and learning, I, I love it so much. Mm. Um, but I, I think my biggest overarching goal was actually just the family, the family idea. Like I really want to have a family. I want to have kids. Mm-hmm. I want to have that role of being a father. And that for me was enough to say, well, fuck, sorry. I, <laughs> um, I have to, you have to beat that one. <laughs> mm. I need to, I need to do something about that. I can't mm. just, you know, turn around one day and be broke and then try and do something. That's just immature and, and I think not a very good thing to bring up a child. Mm. Well, that's so. beautiful, man. Yeah, thank you. Mm. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, for, for the movement group, 
side of things, like what would you say is, do you have like a, a core goal or something like that for the London movement group? Do you, do you guys align yourself around a, a certain thing? No, not right now. I'm, um, I'm, I'm not very fond of, um, uh, giving things too specific of a goal or a um, name or a description when it comes to the, the group. And the reason why is I think that as soon as you describe something or you, you, you ascertain a name for it, there's presuppositions and there's connotations that come with that. And if I say to the guys, okay, it's the, we're the London movement group and we do um, handstands and acrobatics. People are like, oh, so it's basically capoeira. Okay, I know what it is. I'm not interested. I'm like, well, yeah, we're also doing parkour. Oh, so you're doing like handstands and parkour. It's like, yeah, but, and all of these uh, boxes have presuppositions and, and connotations that, of course, we have to try and share somehow. But I think this is why Ido changes the, the words. And he says, okay, we're going to do environmental practices. We're going to do locomotive work. It, it, it's, it's things that don't have so strong presuppositions and it it gets people into it rather than says to them oh i know what that is i don't i'm not interested and it's almost like a curation of a belief system that i'm not the best at that's mm. where he for me that's where he's a genius he's mm. he's got that uh, Marcello to an extent as well i worked with Marcello for about a year um before i, I moved to tom wexler and they've got this ability to create a belief system and talk in a way that, that brings people in and, and believe in something, which I think is super valuable. Mm. Um, and I admire them both very much for that. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd say no to your question. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a question that I always like to ask people is then, okay, so say someone walks past, sees what you're doing, what you guys are sort of doing and then goes, Oh, like, yeah, like, what do you, what do you do? What do you then say? Good question. So the group often laugh because I, I normally have the worst elevator pitch ever. <laughs> Depending on what we're practicing, I might just um, read the situation and, and, and give something however I feel in the moment. But many times I actually offer someone in the group to explain because I feel like the experience of the group within the group is very different from my intention when teaching it. And so I think the, the, the best thing for, for someone walking by to say, like, oh, what's going on here? Is to ask someone that's actually doing it rather than teaching it. Mm. Because I, I know the, or I'm aware of the great complexity of it. But the guy's doing it, and uh, maybe not. And so they can say, well, I'm experiencing right now this. Oh, cool, interesting. I can relate to that. Mm. That's what I'd say. And how does a sort of session look like you know you guys go down to a park or whatever and then how does the material sort of run do you have core foundational material that you hit every session um yeah so um we we have more of a seasonal let's say change so weather obviously is is very uh bad in the winter especially <laughs> like right now i had a meeting yesterday to, to figure out indoor space for the group over the winter because in the summer, it's wonderful. I love being outdoors. I think it's so valuable to be outdoors. But in the winter, it sucks. And it's really volatile. It's really you know, not conducive to a good, solid practice. Um, especially people that have you know, full-time work and it's like you know, 8 p.m. On a, on a Tuesday night and it's pissing down your brain. It's not ideal. Mm. Um, and it also means that the, the projects we want to run are not able to be done if it's like rail work and it's, it's snowing. 
<laughs> you know <laughs> so um I, I try and do more like the parkour outdoor work um in the summer and the winter's more like preparation hibernation type work like general capacity work mobility we would relook at like the hand balancing work for example uh, and then floor work locomotive work uh, as well and then using those skills in in the summer months mm -hmm. um, a bit more of an open format class but basically the class structure is uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek i'm like i've got like so many notebooks that are just full of class plans and class plans and I, i'm really fond of sitting down with a coffee and just like preparing my classes like every time i'm like writing all the details down like progressive overload what reps and sets we're doing at this phase what's going on here and then over the course of let's say eight to ten weeks we're, we're going through this project um whatever it might be at the time and it, there's been so many to count right now but um we always start the session with what i'm calling zero pointing i've done this for about a year and a half now and um i now know it's something that people have done for a long time but in my mind i thought i was a genius and i was <laughs> like okay well if i'm trying to curate an environment of self-awareness mm -hmm. i want to first and foremost start on a blank page so i was doing improvisation work with tom wexler and and he gave us this concept of blank paper and he said before you can improvise scribbling with a pen you have to first have blank paper and that blank paper is you in a neutral state and your awareness of yourself on the, in that moment and i was like ah oh, that's interesting i want to try and do that for the group and kind of have a sense of okay every time you come to the group no matter if you had a stressful day or you've been a lazy day or you've been sick or you're excited or whatever it might be we all start on the same page so we do a, a short sequence, we call it zero pointing. We look at um, just moving the spine, moving, moving the limbs, going, going through some breath work, standing stillness. And um, from there, that gives everyone a sense of um, like being in the moment and just kind of assessing the body. Mm. And then we'll go through the start of the session. We'll do some basic warm-up work, some mobility work, and then lead up to certain, let's say, principles or concepts that then take it into like um, whatever the concept or uh, module is for that time. For example, recently it's been um, weight shifting and looking at a detail called a pendulum, which is uh, useful for acrobatics work. Mm, nice. And yeah. that zero pointing, so is that like a set sort of structure or schema yeah. that you go through every time? Mm -hmm. Exactly the same. And it, it's not a, you know, a progressive thing. It's not something that we're looking to get better at. It's mm. simply something like meditation that you do to get a better self-awareness i like this concept it's like everyone's gathered together you do this thing all together you're in communion and it's it's like the yeah like if everything else is changing in your life you can kind of come back to this constant right and then be like mm -hmm. okay now i'm here and then i can do do this other sort of work yeah it's really interesting yeah, like before I even introduce the plan of the class, I'll just like, everyone comes in a circle, we stand, we have some stillness, we close our eyes, we breathe, everyone settles. And already at that moment, everyone's on the same level. Yeah. And then from there, we start to work on the spine, we start to do some different things. And then everyone can go through that, um, that sequence for themselves. And then we go from there. Mm. It's almost like a super short kind of yoga meditation almost. Mm even though I've never done yoga and I'm not a massive fan, but kind of what it is, I'd say. Mm, nice. And you've mentioned this thing about capacity and general preparedness uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. What, uh, what, what is your approach with, with this? Like you're talking about these old, these like specific applications with containers and things like that. So do you view it sort of 
for maybe for someone new coming into the group, then they have to work more on this sense of capacity and preparedness and you gear that practice more towards that region for them. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So uh, let's say it's a, it's a, it's a viewpoint of how I see such a complex and broad practice. Um, if we take physical intelligence as our, as our orientation that we spoke about, underneath that, I kind of see this big realm of subjective stuff. And it's, it might be fears, it might be self-doubt, it might be frustrations, it might be how I'm learning and, and, and what my process of learning is and the different types of learning I need to do in specific realms. And then below this, we have capacity because I need to have a certain capacity to be able to do something, to be able to learn something in the first place. So this is going to be, um, am I strong enough in certain positions? Am I confident to produce force in certain positions? Do I have enough range of motion to be able to do certain things? And they'd be kind of uh, our focal points of, of different work. And then the general preparedness is, is more of a nervous system thing, I would say. And it's kind of relating to the zero pointing, relating to my cueing of maybe staying calm in a certain way or being confident in a certain way and preparing yourself also with rest and recovery. Because as you'll know, like going into a session when you've had two hours sleep, you're stressed out your mind and you haven't slept, you're not prepared to do anything. Mm. So generally being prepared means, okay, are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Are you breathing well? How are you, how are you within yourself? Do the zero point you find out and then go from there. So I'd say, you know, working top down, that would be the, the idea, how I see things based yeah. upon my, let's say, philosophy. Mm -hmm. And do you prioritize any sort of like particular movements or positions? Do you, do you see is there are any movements as like sort of fundamentals? No, I, I think I'm too young, too inexperienced and too um, unwilling to... Uh, <laughs> be the guru to say, yes, this is incredibly important. This one must be the, the one like, because someone else said so. Yeah. Of course, there's certain things that feel good and there's certain things that are useful relative to the task at hand. Hmm. That's all I'll say. Everything is, is context dependent and relative. There's, of course, I love hanging around. I like swinging on branches on trees. I like to mm -hmm. hang on the rings. It makes me feel nice. I like to work on my spine. I like to be low to the floor and lie on the floor, roll on the floor. I like to squat down near the floor. Running is also probably a fundamental walking, jumping. Where do you start that and where do you stop that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like, I like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a non-answer. I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is also a bit of a loaded question. So um, exactly. With, yeah. <laughs> with, uh, I guess this uh, concept of movement preparation, versus maybe like doing the thing you know like which maybe you can say is like the movement practice right like doing the rock climbing versus doing the pull-ups like how should we orientate ourselves towards this like this this thing of like you know i'm preparing myself for this this act versus like hey i'm just gonna do this act because yeah like i'm sure there's heaps of rock climbers that just rock climb right good question yeah i, I say Again, it's completely relevant and context dependent, relative, sorry, and context dependent. Because let's say someone comes to me and it's, they, they want to get into the parkour practice. And they say to me, oh, I've been doing uh, weightlifting for a long time. I've got pretty robust legs. I need to work on a few of the coordination aspects of it. But I think I can take some impact and we work on that. 
But then I get another person that says to me the same goal. I want to get into the parkour practice and this is my goal. But they've only ever done yoga. They've never taken any impact in their life. They've got no idea about how to produce force in the lower body. It's very different. I would say our goal and our, and our resources have to go in general capacity mm. more than the physical intelligence realm. And for me, this, this way of looking at the practice is all about resource management. Where are resources going that enables the best practice for that individual? Mm. Uh, that's that's the simplest way of saying it yeah i like that because also we only have these limited resources as well so we need a i guess that's where you go to the teacher for guidance right so that we can spend our resources in a in a in a better or more intelligent Mm -hmm. way borrowing from your (laughs) your use of the word um and how do you normally feel within your practice when you want to dive into like a new sort of area as well like are you sort of at a stage where like you can just jump in and start doing the thing most of the time or what, what do you sort of see? I am at a stage, I, I would say physically where I could do that, but I don't enjoy doing that. I almost mm. feel like I'm doing myself a disservice. Mm. A, because I see myself as a teacher. So therefore I want to learn the preparatory steps for that. But more importantly, on a, on a selfish level, I kind of feel like I want to prepare myself to be the best I can. And like I said before, I'm quite timid in, in certain new things. So I want to know details. Mm. I want to know and what are my risks and how I can mitigate them as well as I can. You know, I'm not going to say that I can get rid of risk, but I can at least understand how to prepare myself to overcome that. And I also quite enjoy capacity work. Marcello once said to me, capacity is like money in the bank. The more you have, the more opportunities or the more freedoms you have, Hmm. but it doesn't mean everything. Hmm. And I think this is the same for the strength work. If you enjoy it and you gain something from that, great. But it's a means to an end, I think in my orientation it's a means to gain me better freedom when i'm climbing for example or when i'm doing parkour work or whatever it might be so i think containers are incredibly important just doing the work for the sake of doing the work for me doesn't cut the mustard Mm. and with the people that come to the london movement group you know who are these people how did you how did you find the others good question um Obviously, Instagram is a huge one. Both A lot of my online coaching, a lot of my online students are all from Instagram. And, and I've got also the London Movement Group Instagram that's focused primarily on getting people to the group. But I feel very fortunate that we've, we've had a hugely high, um, let's say, return rate. Like people just are always there. We've got a fundamental base of like 12 to 15 students that have been there for two years. And it's mm-hmm. like... I was very clear at the start. I don't want people dropping in and out and just coming here, going again. It's like we're progressively moving through these projects and I'm giving you a lot of time and effort here. I want you to be committed to this. And then people see results and, and, and people see not only results. And I think what's even more important than, than outcome is how they're experiencing the work, you know, how are they fitting into a community or a culture and, and are, they, are they gaining a lot from that as a, as a person and are they adding to that as a person? And then also that serves the motivation to come back and come back and come back and that consistency over a long period of time equals outcome. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I say Instagram is, a, is the, the reason why I use it. I hate it. I hate social media really, but <laughs> we, we have to use it to a certain extent and it's afforded me so, so, so many great things that I, I can't deny that. Um, for example, you know, meeting Harry, traveling around the world, doing, you know, different things, sharing my work and being able to then continue to share it. But also word of mouth, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy and um, 
uh, I'm pretty fortunate to have uh, some people that say great things and um, and people then yeah come along. Well, it's sounding like you're using social media to be actually social, which is which is good, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's the, that's the most important thing. I'm, I'm very much um, a fan of use it, don't be used by it. Yeah, yeah. And, and whatever that use it for you might be, but for me, it's very much a sense of this is my goal. This is what I'm doing. This is my my orientation. That's what I'm doing. And could you share a little bit on maybe um, the use of partner work or group? work as opposed to maybe more solo based work because i i think the most beautiful thing when you get a group around right is you can do things which you can't do when you're just by yourself so what sort of things do you do within the group that leverages off this ability to work with other people yeah i think we're always continually um the biggest thing for me when you're working with someone else is and this is to quote tom wexler is um when you work by yourself, you're working a lot with imagination or in your mind. Um, when you're working with a partner, you're working with reality. Mm. And it's a very real sense of, okay, give and take of, of helping that other person, of gaining from that other person. And that for me is awesome. Like to, to just to have that in the group and, and, and allow people new opportunities to learn about this person, about themselves, their perspective on this and their ability to do this and how they're, let's say, we take a handstand how they're failing and how they're dealing with it compared to how I'm failing and how I'm dealing with it. And then we can both help each other. And as long as there's a sense of kind of mutual interest and motivation, which comes from a cultural kind of base, everyone wins. Mm. So it's not only just like a direct, like partner task, right? Like a shoulder tap thing, but even like within a handstand, that orientation of being together as well, like you're saying, like mm. then it still comes together to form partner work. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say that, you know, that working by yourself versus working with people has, has uh, one is better than the other. Like the specific tasks, let's take the shoulder tap game, for example. You can still do that on a wall or on a tree, for example. You're not going to get the same benefits, but you can still get something from it. Mm. And I think people almost see working alone as an excuse. It's kind of ironic, but I'd say 90% of my own practice is alone. I, I've spent a long time just going around being by myself, diving into things and just, you know, being a weirdo. But when I'm in, in the group, therefore I get a lot from it because I love it so much. Mm. But I think then if you're only from the group and you only practice with the group, then you, you're always in that mode and you're always in that kind of level of like, wow, yes. But then I'm always giving people homework. I'm always giving the guys, most of my people that I'm working one-to-one -one with in London are actually from the group. Um, or if they're not, then they all have diaries and they all have work to do anyway. Mm. So therefore the, the idea is there then to, you know, to, to entrust a level of self-practice into people. And I think that then only helps motivation in the future. Mm. Yeah. I, I sort of see it like you, instead of this complete hundred percent independence where you're just like, you know, I'm solo, I can do everything by myself. It's like much better to almost be like this, this interdependent, individual right where you can then interact with a group and make the most of that but then also if you are by yourself then your practice could still develop very powerfully as as well so um i guess with the with the people that sort of attend with the with the group um you know if they if they were attending for a very long time and they could say like maybe one thing that they gained from their experience within the group you know what what would you be proud of 
I'd say close relationships, which I say is, is a big one. And I, I think we're, I'm very confident in saying that that's for sure happening. And there's many people meeting up well outside of training a lot of times. Um, a sense of um, belonging or, or community that they, they, they want to be around. I think the great thing is everyone knows everyone and no one's a stranger in the group. Mm-hmm. Everyone's there, we're together. And this is the kind of tribe idea that's so valuable for all of us. I think especially we look at now how the world's kind of being globalized, but at the same time, everyone's being pulled apart because they're so busy looking at this device. Mm-hmm. And just having this sense of like real human tribe where everyone's in this together, we can be vulnerable, we can be brave, we can be scared, we can try hard, we can cry if we need to, we can laugh a lot. That for me is the fundamental of everything. And then the, the physical practices is a way to, to gain that. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. It kind of reminds me of, you know, when I was younger younger, and before phones were so prevalent and sometimes you're working like this shitty casual job as well, but you're kind of bound within this common experience to to laugh and cry together because it sucked so much. And then when you look back on it, you're like, oh, you really bond with these people through this <laughs> this. Uh, common experience because you were you were so there as well like you said not distracted by this 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 phone thing which is kind of cool but um you know could you let us know maybe some some well what are some big mistakes that maybe you've made during this uh you know this journey of the group that you kind of look back on now and go okay like i should have done things differently mm. Question. Whoa. It's, it's, it's hard to say. Well, I, I don't like to frame things as like big mistakes. I quite like to see them as, okay, I'm going to learn from that. <laughs> oh, that, that, that was interesting. Okay. Um, one of them is definitely being too harsh at the beginning. I was so focused on, you know, making people this amazing practitioner from day one. And I really wanted to be like, manhandle everything and, and get every detail right and every single person in that class should know the detail and, and but then I'm going to move it on and I was I was going through a lot of work very quickly and we do a, a monthly project which is nowhere near enough time and I do one month of classes mm. and the people I'd expect people to understand at the level that I did it and then we move on and that was a big mistake and I was just so idealistic and so um yeah determined to give this like amazing work and the, by the end of the first year, I wanted everyone to be a beast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this isn't reality. <laughs> okay. And um, yeah, I'd say that's the big thing that I learned was to, to allow people to do it in their own time. And that's okay. Mm. I'm not a massive fan of this idea when um, people say, show me your students and I'll tell you how good of a teacher you are. And I'm like, well, how can you compare one student to another? That we're all human and the, the, the circumstances, the mm. starting points, they're all so different. It's like, if I've got a student who's a beast, but he's been with me for one month, or I've got a, a person that's been with me for two years and we've gone through so much together, how can you compare that? Mm. I'm sorry, but I'd I take the second option. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and this is the, the great thing for me is that all my students have been with me for so long and we have these amazing relationships and we do this great work. And yes, they're, they're not going to be, you know, they all haven't got one arm handstands and one arm pull-ups right now, but what they do have is a, a better connection to themselves and a better practice. Mm. It kind of feels as well, I think sometimes when you're first starting out that you really want to prove yourself as a teacher, right, as well. So you want to, you want to rush through things. You want to get them 
or you want to feel like you've got them to this level that you have achieved as well, because then it kind of proves to yourself that you're like, ah, oh, I'm a, I'm a good teacher now. Cause we, we covered all this stuff, but mm-hmm. it's, I think that then really pulls away from what's actually happening from the student's view as well. Right. Because then you're kind of too focused maybe on how it's kind of making you feel as a teacher rather than what's actually happening on, on, on the level. Yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. sort of been my sort of experience, but um, if someone was looking to start, you know, one of these movement groups in their local community, what would you recommend? Um, start small and consistent. I spent the first, let's say six months with maybe three to five people and just, you know, made it super consistent, super, um, whew, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say, Mm. Uh, maybe maybe I'd say this if you're passionate about it and you're a good person and you're working hard in your own practice I think a big one for me is being passionate for yourself speaks volumes to other people and therefore you don't have to say it in words if someone can see you being vulnerable trying hard continuing to learn being some kind of an example that's already going to be enough to bring people interest, some interest towards you. And then if you're saying, okay, I'm going to offer some space. I'm going to, you know, try my best to share this with you. Then that's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, that's the, the, the two way deal It's like, I'm working super hard to learn and then I want to share. And this is kind of the, the, the base idea that I see with the group is that I'm, I'm in a tribe. I'm going out, I'm hunting. I find a bush with some berries that we can eat. I go back to the tribe and I have to explain to the guys how to get there, what they look like, how to eat them and then come back. And then the whole tribe is then better off in the future. You know, that's how I see it. I, I just got a, an image of like Will's ancestral <laughs> movement group. <laughs> Foraging for berries. It's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> going through Tarzan style, brachiating through the, the, the vines and stuff. It's very important stuff. <laughs> exactly it's basically what we do yeah, yeah. <laughs> except now it's coffee shops <laughs> <laughs> so one thing i've heard you kind of use in your writings before is like this thing of um yeah correct me if i'm misquoted but the, like this the thing is bigger than the thing can you sort of explain a little bit more about this saying and what that means yeah, so actually I'm trying to make a video about this right now with a good friend of mine, actually Harvey, the guy that introduced us. Um, so going back to this idea of containers, and I think like we've, we've talked about for the last kind of hour is everything is not as simple as it may seem. And, and everything's got layers. And this is me basically trying to say to people whenever I'm teaching, it's like the thing is bigger than the thing. Don't just focus on that superficial level. There's so many layers underneath that that you can gain from or you can learn from. And this whole idea is basically trying to accept that this is not everything. There's more to it than we may seem. Mm. And, and, and once I started to accept that and know that in my idealistic mind, it is no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to fully comprehend that. And to accept that is a good thing. Mm. And then and- kind of looking at the philosophy of kind of layer upon layer of the practice of, Okay, if I'm trying to be super physically intelligent with the, the one-arm handstand, I still have to look at it with a sense of learning and, and incrementally break it down into, okay, where am I lacking? What can I work on for my capacity? When I actually try and do the thing, I have to accept that that's done. 
and I have to accept that the thing's bigger than the thing. I cannot um, think, okay, now I've got to do this, and now I've got to do this, and now I have to do this. I have to just be in the moment. And how are you going about representing this visually? I imagine this is, yeah, this is Slow quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been, I've been documenting the one arm handstand journey that I've been doing the last couple of years. And we're trying to funnel that into, uh, let's say, show this concept with one idea. Um, I'm not a massive fan of the one arm handstand. I think it's great. I think it's been a real test for me. It's been a couple of years of a real hard work. It's not something that I'm like super inspired by. I think it's an amazing feat once I'm doing it, but then I'm not going to take it any further than that. But um, I, I kind of wanted to, something that's quite obvious and quite like um, eye-catching to be like, okay, now I can grasp this. It's quite static. I can see what's going on. Okay, they're balancing one hand right. It's difficult. Okay. I can, I can then, from there, I've got an entry point and I can now start trying to understand this concept and maybe then apply it elsewhere. The same as Josh Waitzkin was saying with chess, you know, there's an obvious entry. Everyone's played chess. Well, most people have played chess. And say for things like, you know, this, this one arm handstand takes you years as well. Like it's an extraordinary amount of time. So yeah, maybe like, you know, your mum comes to you and goes like, well, you know, why, why are you spending so much time on this thing? Like, why, why are you practicing? Like, it, is this relating back to the thing is bigger than the thing? Like, yeah, what, what do you say? For sure, for sure. That's that's definitely one one thing. I, I would say on a more philosophical level, the thing is bigger than the thing. You know, it's not just about the one I'm handsome, it's about what I'm gaining from it subjectively. Determination, a sense of being able to do the same thing over and over again, dealing with frustration. Aside from that, I would say as a teacher, and I have people coming to me that are amazing practitioners in their own right, some of them have goals to do one-arm handstand. And I want to be able to feel what I'm telling them to do. I, I don't like giving people stuff that I've never experienced before. I don't mm. like this, this way of sharing. I think it's not sharing, it's just giving. Um, and so that's obviously one major factor as well. And, and another one was when I was in Perth, everyone could do a one-arm handstand. And I was, I was you know, I was so... Um, overwhelmed by knowledge and, and amazing people doing it, I thought, well, why would I waste this opportunity? And I, I must learn the basics. And then from there I progress and, and now I'm where I am right now. Mm. With of course ups and downs, I had a neck injury and a wrist injury that were, that sucked. But. And if we were to zoom out even further and say like, just generally, why do you practice? What would you say? Because mm. I like to do it. I enjoy it. It's become something of a, um, I like to use a concept of momentum. So I don't like motivation so much. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer to frame it as motivation. So if you're motivated, it's a, something of an emotion, right? The same as if you're happy, you can become sad very quickly or you can become jealous very quickly, whatever it might be. And I think motivation is, is on that similar kind of level with more nuances maybe, but still it's on that level. Momentum, however, is something that takes a long time to curate and to break that inertia is quite difficult mm -hmm. but let's take the image of a snowball at the top of a hill and it might be really hard to push and get going and you have to kind of pick it all up and squish it all together and da, 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 da. but eventually once you start pushing it and it gets some inertia and it gets big enough to sustain itself it just keeps tumbling down and off you go and if you can curate that and continue it over a long period of time it's almost unstoppable mm. 
and it's like it, that's for me is the practice is i've been doing it for such a long time now that it's just it's an unquestionable thing of my day the same as brushing my teeth mm-hmm. yeah it's beautiful and I, I, it's funny because on the opposite end of that spectrum when someone doesn't have any momentum as well like they wouldn't be able to comprehend that right it would be like i just i just wouldn't like that that's why so many people struggle to do any sort of practice right because they they can't get into this momentum so i like i like this example um i think on that just quickly the the best thing to do for these people is to set really low bars set really low goals and it might be okay i'm going to do 30 minutes twice a week and give myself a gold sticker if I've done that for a month. And then you've got this reward. And then you have this, the same way that um, Instagram gives you certain uh, dopamine hits from rewards. You can hack that with yourself and you can start to do the same thing. Like give yourself a to-do list and whatever it might be, like take it off in your favorite color pen and get a good feeling about it or put it on your wall. So you know that it's there and then work hard, commit to something for the start. And then allow it to just roll on and roll on and roll on. And eventually it's like, well, okay, now I can progressively overload that, that task. And have you started anything recently where you've had zero momentum and maybe a lot of resistance from yourself that you've had to overcome and then build that into a practice? Mm, yeah, there's always many things. I think um, beginning the dance work with Tom a year or so ago, that was, that was a big one for me. It was very kind of... Um, difficult to to allow myself to be vulnerable uh, when corona hit especially i couldn't go to a studio and hide away i had to be in in full front of the whole general public and, and be in the middle of a park and improvise dance and, and hmm. express certain things that was a big thing for me and um, um, meditation a long time ago trying to do that and, and stay consistent it's a very rare that you get positive feedback loops from meditating for a long time at the beginning especially um over corona i i I did this uh daily breath holding work i I wanted to do a five minute breath hold it was a really awesome thing and i heard that corona was something to do with 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 the the lungs and and the heart having problems so i thought if i can every day practice some kind of breath holding and if one day it goes really bad i know that maybe i've got corona so this is my my foolproof (laughs) method of knowing if i have corona You know, just just something to give myself a, a level of like, okay, I, I can motivate myself to practice this because you know that's the deal. Um, if, even after like I hurt my wrist uh, in parkour and, and and I couldn't do a handstand for like three months or something, and so then re beginning the one arm handstand was like, oh my god, do I really want to commit to another year and a half, two years of this mm. after I've probably lost six months? That that's obviously something that we you have to slowly tick away at. Mm. Hmm. And, you know, with this, um, this, this concept uh, of this subjective layer that you, you keep on men- mentioning, I, I guess, uh, yeah, when does this physical practice start crossing over to become more than the physical, uh, more than the physical, because, you know, sometimes when we learn, it's very like domain specific, even if we have like a more generalist sort of orientation, um, yeah how do we sort of cultivate this uh this orientation to be like you know i'm learning this but it's like this this wider sort of purpose with which is non-domain specific i don't know <laughs> i'm uh I'm, I'm getting used to saying this i think it's an important thing to talk about maybe is actually if we don't know something don't baffle with bullshit just say i don't know yeah and um 
I think it's a really good thing for a teacher to learn is uh, someone asks you a question in the class and they expect an answer and you expect to know. <laughs> I used to try and just make something up. But I, yeah, I think it's because of this and this. And, and sometimes you can maybe through explaining, figure something out together. Mm. But sometimes it's important to just say, I don't know, work it out. So I'm going to say that because I don't know. <laughs> maybe always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think again, it's like, you know, we talked about maturity before and that's almost like this maturity in the teacher as well. When you, when you can become confident of not knowing, right. And then actually saying that in front of a group, I think that's very exposing, right. When mm. like to people's concept of the teacher, you kind of like this guy should know everything, but actually it doesn't have to be the case. And it shouldn't be the case. I think if you know everything, you're a moron. Mm. Nobody <laughs> knows everything. Period. Yeah. Not even Elon Musk knows everything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, this, this is the, you know, the thing is bigger than the thing I do again is mm. coming back to that. So talking about teachers as well, uh, you know, it seems that you've, you, you've been able to, you mentioned like Marcello, Tom Wexler, like I've seen you doing parkour with Flynn Disney as, mm-hmm. as well. Um, uh, yeah. Super exciting with, with me and Flynn actually, we live together now, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we're going to now start, he's going to join me with the London Movement Group. And so mm-hmm. we're going to put on some sessions with him now, which is amazing. The first time I've allowed, um, I've allowed students to teach the group if I've been traveling or been away, but I've never had an external um, teacher teach the group. So it's great. Like it's one of my best friends. So it, I'm super lucky to have him involved now. So um, the group's going to have an amazing addition mm-hmm. to the teaching. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask like why these particular teachers so um hmm, good question i think when i was traveling i was very much just searching for anyone and any and everyone and i was just going around to any opportunity i got i'm, I'm just going to soak up all this information because i was so new to it so i had no idea and before I mean, before i started doing the movement and stuff i was playing american football and i was beat up i was injured i wasn't flexible or mobile i was just super motivated and i'd done a bit of crossfit And then when I started to see different people's work and I I was very much into kind of really thinking about things and processing things and and looking how people are doing things on a process level, not just kind of the the superficial level, but really seeing the depth of practice. And Marcello spoke volumes to me with that that regard. And we had a really great year of work together and he really pushed me towards making my philosophy and and, and digging into my principles or, or how, why I'm doing certain things, how I want to do certain things and, and really taking responsibility for that. So I can, I can only thank him for that. And then from there, I was always inspired by Tom's work and his, his more artistic, creative ideas. And, and when the opportunity came up to work with him, it was like a no brainer. Um, so yeah, I'd say that it, it sounds, or let's say it seems to me like it's pretty obvious choices. Mm. And if for, for my interests, what I'm looking for, and me as an individual, they're both extremely accomplished. They're both extremely self-aware. They're both extremely uh, deep and innocent. And I, I, I love them both for that. And yeah, they inspire me very much. Because I think it's a unique struggle now that we have in this age of like, online coaching you can reach anybody as well and for 
the beginning movement practitioner or even the advanced movement practitioner, it's almost like, you know, I've got this selection of so many different people. Like how can, how can one, what one choose? Because, you know, there's 10, 100, 100 guys for everything now. So uh, I think that that process is, it can be challenging, right? To mm-hmm. try and find this match between, okay, who, who's going to be right for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, what I've always said is, I really hope my Instagram is somewhat of a um, um, of a journal or of a, a public evidence to show, look, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've done. That's where I was and here's where I am now. And I'm just super proud to be like accepting of the journey and figuring things out as they go along. Mm. I'm not going to say that I know everything because I definitely don't. But I do know, or I've definitely experienced a lot of things personally. And I think my profile shows that. And if that speaks to you and uh, what I say when I'm, when I'm writing on there, cause I'm, I'm, I'm super honest. I think I'm, I'm very um, open on that platform, maybe too much, <laughs> but um, if that speaks to you, then, then, then that, that is a good idea. And I think as, as long as you can, your bullshit detectors on, you can't go wrong. And I think if something speaks to you and you're inspired by it and, and it works for you and why would you not? Mm-hmm. I think and, the, the market's very, um, it's getting more and more, um, um, more people doing the same thing, let's say. Um, it's getting saturated. But I still think quality and uh, an inspiration speaks to people. Yeah, I think you can tell when you, you can recognize the quality, right? And the passion when, when someone is really in and you know honestly sharing as well and i think that those sort of positive qualities always shine through beyond anything sort of else i do believe that so it it does sound from your journey as well that you're sort of coordinating quite like multiple disciplines to to learn as well like how how does that actually figure into your practice and how do you coordinate like learning these different things at once is that what's actually happening or you're just actually focusing on one thing at the time yeah no, I, I definitely program many things. Um, I'm, I'm super aware of resources and, and trying to make sure that I understand the cable. Am I prepared in certain areas to do this or what do I need to do to, to, to get better at this? And then I'm always juggling these, these, um, these modules, let's say. Mm. I, I normally have two or three at any one time and then mm. I dive in until I feel like I want to move on and we go from there. And depending on what that module needs is dependent on how much general capacity I do. Over the years, I've actually dropped my capacity from like six days a week to now I do one day a week just to kind of maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do the practice, you know, and this is the great thing for me. I've kind of gone from every day, all day, every day, just working on my mobility, my strength, preparing myself, understanding some all the fundamentals, getting myself stronger, 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 more mobile, more mobile. And now I'm at a stage where I feel like I can express that. And now maybe, if, of course, there's a sense of, I like to do capacity, so I'll do a bit more probably, over winter especially. But also parkour is very new to me, and I know I'm not prepared enough on my legs to, look, I'm, I'm a big guy, I'm super heavy. So when I'm landing, I have a lot of impact. So my knees and my ankles really have to take a lot of impact. So I have to therefore work on that. Mm. And so it, there's, there's a reason why I want to do capacity work now, because I need to make sure that I'm healthy for a long time mm. to be able to experience parkour. I like it. It's again, using that container to help inform the rest of the practice, right? To, exactly. to how you organize it. Um, exactly. 
So, uh, yeah, have, have there been any other sort of ideas or concepts recently that, the, that have sort of come to mind and have, have been making a big impact on you? Hmm. Um, the book I read recently, I wouldn't say it's a concept, but the book I read recently was called um, The Body Keeps the Score. And I've been reading a lot more to do with kind of somatic experience or um, trauma work lately. Hmm. And just this, um, this kind of new perspective to see how people are dealing with things or how, why people are doing certain things. We have these presuppositions culturally, let's say, when someone gives you intense eye contact, it means this. Or if someone looks away from you, it means this. Or if someone looks down to the floor, it means this. And actually, I would say maybe not. In, in many cases, and I, I can now see in myself that when I do certain things, I don't intend to, to give a certain emotion to this person, but I know that I do. And I have to then slowly start to work on that and be honest with myself and say, okay, well, in this moment, I need to try and give this person eye contact. I want to be sincere. Or maybe I need to stand up for myself and say, you know what? I can't just keep being agreeable and passive. I need to say, you know what? No, I disagree. And just this, this kind of concept of, um, when the body holds trauma and how it comes out and how you can relive it and then how we can maybe work towards mitigating this or understanding and accepting that people that do have that that's it's quite deep how you can allow them to have a better time of it this is a nice thing for me recently mm, it's yeah it's almost like this this deeper sense of empathy to mm-hmm. and then how you can modify your actions positively to to help with this experience right going back to that yeah like i get i really get this feeling from you about yeah this this value that you place on relationships right um and uh, yeah i really i really enjoy it but um mm. maybe just to finish off because i'm just mindful of your time uh <laughs> what's on the to learn list mm. so right now the one arm has to be ticked off and I, i'm really motivated to get at least 10 seconds consistently on both arms this is a this is a big goal for me right now um i then have because it's now we're transitioning towards winter i'm very much uh, i'm currently like uh, programming for myself uh, more capacity work for my lower body to make sure that my my jump improves significantly for the yeah. for next summer for parkour um and the qualities that that involves like absorbing impact well and, and quickly um producing force for example um and then Tom, we're currently on a, at the end of, of a third cycle of work. So I'm waiting for his creative flourish of, 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 of inspiration. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what he provides for them. There's, there's so much to learn there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a stage now where I can't quite define specifically a thing. It's more like embrace the chaos of a, of a realm. And for me, I'm not very good with chaos. I've, I've always sat on the side of order and planning reps and sets. And, and I guess the, the biggest thing for me to learn is to accept chaos and, and enjoy it. Hmm. Well, it's been beautiful to follow your journey and also amazing to connect uh, for once and have this, this chat. I've really enjoyed it. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch, you know, find out more about yourself, London movement group, all that sort of thing. What's the best way? Um, so the website is figuringthingsout.com. Um, the Instagram is London Movement Group. Uh, my personal is wbrown7. And get in touch. 
uh, and I'll do my best to help out. <laughs> Any meaning behind the seven? Nope. It was just the, the first Instagram profile that came up when I gave myself an Instagram profile a few years ago. So <laughs> I, I probably should change that, but I, I think it's, it's, it's gone for so long. Now people know me, you know, not as Will, but they know me as W Brown seven. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've, I've had people come to me in like a, a group sessions or a workshops and they're like, I didn't know your name until until I met you because I just knew you was W Brown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a weird world we live in, but um, yeah. It really is. Man. It really is. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Will. Anyway, thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate it. It is. It's a great question, Stephanie. Episode 29, that was Will Brown, everybody. And thanks to Will for joining and sparing his time and for sharing his perspective. I think it's really interesting. He puts things in a very unique and very, I guess, himself way of terming things. So that concept of physical intelligence, the subjective layer, I really picked those ones out, especially when listening back over on this chat. So I thought it was awesome. Hope you guys did too. I've got a lot more great guests who are going to come onto the podcast. I'm really excited to share that with you guys. So stick around. And if you have any feedback or want to get in touch with me, remember you can find me on Instagram at P. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P. Or on the website, thepassifang.com, you can find my details, find out a little bit more about this whole movement thing, or even if you are in the movement thing, I'm hoping to build that up to be a cool resource that we can all borrow and share from. So look out for it. And otherwise, I will see you guys in the next episode.